The following program is a paid presentation. The views and or opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of KWAM. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff, talk Memphis, oh yeah. Welcome to Talk Money, and now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to Talk Money, where we talk about everything financial, helping you make the most of your money. Today's program, you know, a lot of people either use a tax filing software system like TurboTax, or they hire a tax professional, or they try to do it themselves. What's the difference? What what should you be doing? Why choose one over the other? Well, Michael Powell of Shoemaker Financial will give us some help on understanding and help us understand the difference that we have as far as, you know, which one do you choose and, and why is it better one over the other? And also, should we be getting a tax refund or not? In the second segment of the program, Drew Johnson, he's an investment specialist with Shoemaker Financial. He's also going to help us understand the question, are bonds safe? And the volatility of the market, that's a question we're getting a lot today. Are bonds safe? So we're going to talk about some misconceptions of bond investing. Well, that's kind of important, and I think you'll find the second segment to be interesting, so you want to stay with us. From our Did You Know files, according to research at Bloomberg Barclays, the total return of stocks and the total return of bonds have not been negative in the same year at any time over the last 40 years. The Internal Revenue Service warns that if you turned age 70 and a half in 2017, you must be begin taking annual withdrawals from your IRA accounts no later that April the 1st of this year. If you delay your first withdrawal until April the 1st, you must you must also take a second distribution by December the 31st of this year. That's 2018. So you'll get taxed twice if you're not careful. The Census Bureau has given a statistic that you might find interesting. As of the end of the year 2017, there are more millennials, 83 million in the United States, than there are at baby boomers, 75 million. Millennials are born between the ages of 19, with age of between 1981 and 1997. They're between the ages of 2036. And of course, the baby boomers, 60, or 46 to 64, and they're age 53 to 71. Well, I really want you to understand that double digit market corrections are normal. That's part of a bull market. According to Bloomberg, the S&P 500 has more than quadrupled in price since the bottom in March of 2009. During the same time, we've seen five different double-digit corrections. Let me say that again. During that same period of time, we have seen five different double-digit corrections. So the statement, double-digit market corrections, are a normal part of a bull market. Well, We've got a great program coming up for you. Just stay with us because we're going to be talking with Michael Powell and Drew Johnson. Michael's going to talk about should you be getting a tax refund? And, of course, Drew's going to help us understand the big question, are bonds safe? I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. 
podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with uh, Michael Powell. Michael, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks for having me once again. You know, one of the things, and I appreciate you being here, one of the things that so many people we deal with is uh, I'm getting a tax refund. And, and you know, I kind of cringe when somebody's excited about getting this $2,000 tax refund. Right. So when speaking with your clients and, and they're filing their taxes, how do you deal with the conversation of tax refunds and, and preparing taxes and just, I mean, you're not a tax preparer. Everybody understand that. You send people to the professional. Correct. But really, the reality is, how do you discuss it in your practice? With people, like you said, you cringe whenever you hear the word, uh, when people get really excited about the refunds because they think it's just a big bonus, Christmas bonus, something at the end of the year or right when they start 2018. But really, it's not so great if you look at it from the other side of the coin, meaning that this is not a gift from the government. This is merely a return of the money that you had given them over time, and you had given them an interest-free loan for that prior year, meaning that I pay the government too much money, therefore they're paying me back later on, which is usually not a positive thing because ideally if I went to Walmart or something and I gave them $250 a month for the whole year, and then I come back in the next year, they give me all that money back with no interest, would I be happy? No, you wouldn't. Probably not. And this is the same concept, except we're dealing with the IRS. So when I have that conversation, I want to make sure that they're prepared on how they withhold their taxes throughout the year. So now let me, when you say prepared, let's talk about that. People normally do not like filing their income taxes. No, neither do I. Nobody does. So the reality is they... They one of three ways they do it themselves, right? Okay, or they use a TurboTax, and that's kind of like doing yourself. But to some degree, if you do it yourself, you're doing all the calculations. TurboTax is doing some of the calculations for you, or they go out and get the professional. What do you, when you talk with people? I mean, it's such a hard thing. What do you try to help them understand in the preparation side that they, you know, I would always say, look, do the best you can 
But be sure you're preparing your taxes properly if you're going to try to do it yourself. Maybe you do it yourself and still have a professional look at it. That sounds like the best option. The last thing you just said is, hey, learn how it works. You know, I mean, you can take it to your tax professional, let them handle it. You don't know anything about it, so it really doesn't hold you that accountable. But if you do it yourself first, maybe the first time, or go through the TurboTax and not submit it, but go see a tax professional next to make sure that you're doing all the right things. I think that's a great idea. But if you're not in a super complex situation, most of the time I tell my clients that you can probably do it yourself because those tax filing softwares today, they'll catch pretty much any mistake you make. That's true. That's true. But at the same time for me, if I have a more complex situation or I have a self-employed person or something a little bit different than normal or somebody has multiple jobs, I'm going to take them to a tax professional because you want to do it right. Even if you have to pay a little bit more, mistakes can be costly, and I don't want to make any mistakes with the IRS, honestly. That's a good point. Well, you mentioned the IRS, so there's 67,000-some-odd pages when you look at this Internal Revenue Code. I mean, that's a big item. and so I'm not reading that book, Well, I'm not going to read that. It's no. not going to be my night reading unless I'm dealing with some type of insomnia. But the reality <laughs> is filing, filing a return can take, take hours to do it, and this is an issue. That so many people don't so so when you talk about using a TurboTax or the professional, you were pretty much going down that path, and and I want you to kind of dive into it because they have to make a decision. You said probably do some of it yourself, learn something about it, go to the professional, but if they get audited, is that TurboTax going to be enough? I mean, people do get audited. I've been audited a couple mm-hmm. of times. I know some other folks that have been audited. So what would you tell them if they got audited? If you got audited, I think the main thing is, especially on the hiring professional side, that's definitely one of the pros, is if you work with a CPA or some sort of tax professional firm, they will be on your side and they're going to back you up on that tax preparation that you did. On the TurboTax side, I'm not real sure how that works from a you know from a client-customer standpoint with how they work it, but I would rather have someone who has those three letters behind their name backing me up, CPA. Right. But... I mean, overall, you want to make sure that you document, document, document everything you do, whether you have somebody helping you or whether it's just yourself defending it. Okay. So the reality is an audit can be severe, you know, according to what you're being audited for. And if you're trying to do it yourself, you need to be careful because that is tough. I mean, you just need to you need to know more about it. And I think from our chair, I think what we're trying to tell people is not you know we could have had a CPA on the on the with us today, and we still may do that for the end of the year. But the reality is, I don't want anybody to think that they don't have the ability to do it. They do. Oh yeah. But you just got to be prepared for an audit if you have an audit and you did it yourself. Right. That's the key. And it's just important for anything that you put into that tax preparation. You want to make sure that you keep a copy of it. Right. At least three years, I would say. Wouldn't right. you think three so? Years, three years a minute. Yeah. So, okay, if you just tuned in, my guest is Michael Powell. We're talking about, you know, really, do you use TurboTax or do you hire a professional? Do you do it yourself? Tax return. You're filing your taxes. It's a worth thing to be doing because guess what? Death and taxes are two things we know that's going to happen. we got to deal with that. So that's the reality. So, Michael, let me ask you this. What do you do if you get a return and, and you know, a refund when you're filing a return? My point, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is it good you kind of use the Walmart scenario, giving Walmart $250 or $2,000 or something, and for a year, and they 
you go back in, they give it back to you with no interest. That's not a good deal. I don't think I like that. No. So I think what you're telling, saying is, is a tax refund really that good a deal? It can be if you take advantage of the right things with it because most people do get some sort of refund and they want to use it as some sort of expense that they've had saved up for or they want to go spend it immediately because they usually don't get that big of a check at one time. But for me, when I sit down with clients, if they do get some sort of significant return or refund of any type, I'm going to tell them they need to focus on four different areas. Pay down some debts if you have them. Make sure that you build up that emergency fund and the savings account, checking, whatever is nice for you to put there in case something happens. That's great. Boost your retirement account. If you haven't put any money into an IRA or Roth IRA, put some money into that, whether it's $500 or the whole $5,500, $6,500 in there, or save for college. A lot of people that get re- refunds, they may not have been saving for college for their child or grandchild, and it's a good way to do that right there. So you, I know we've discovered and just, you know, the average American, and this is just a pretty broad statistic, but the average American is getting about $3,000 back. That's a lot. Year. That's a lot of $250 a month. So I guess you're saying this is kind of a forced way of saving money. It can be. And that's kind of some people use it for that way. They say, look, it's out of sight, out of mind, and I know I'm going to get it. So the reality is, at least I know that that's my four savings, and then you gave them some ideas that they could do with it, right? Is that the point? No, that's right. And I think the main thing about it, Jim, is that you have to be disciplined with it. Because a lot of people, that if they get $3,000 right off the gate, do you really think they're going to put it down on something they need? That's true. Probably not. That's why we're in the business, to help people do that. But, I mean, it, it takes discipline. It takes a third party, someone to sit down with them and say, hey, what is the real goal with this? Mm-hmm. Whether That's, it is putting it away in the bank or putting it something towards long term. Well, let me make sure everybody understands. We're not going to – I don't feel that we would be an advocate for someone to say this is my forced way of savings. I would rather see them do some work, and we'll come back and later on – I want you to do it later on in the show, but talk to people about how they can – not have to pay, you know, have that money being accumulated by Uncle Sam in the form of a tax return. They can actually increase their budget by $250. But using the scenario, you kind of said it earlier, you talked about pay down some debt. They could use the money for that. Mm -hmm. There's no strings attached to this refund, correct? No. You could do anything you want with it. So you talked about pay down debt. Make sure you use it for an emergency fund. That's hard to do, isn't it, for it people is. to set aside and say, this is money that's going to go for that emergency this next year. Right. So the, you talked about that. And then, of course, you said put it in a retirement plan. Use it to boost your retirement plan. Maybe it's a your, your self-directed IRA or whatever else you, you wanted to do. And then I, I like the fact that you said that really long-range objective, the college fund. If they have minor children, this is a way to say, I'm going to set some money aside. Is that right? Well, yeah, that's right, because most people neglect college or even retirement, so it's an easy thing, that money that you didn't really have or didn't think you had. Do you think this is the top four, or, you know, that people use their money, their refunds for those four things? Are there other things that they might be interested in doing? I mean, when you think about it, I mean, those four things, emergency fund, pay off debt, you know, set aside money for college, set aside money for this or that. Are there other things? I mean, that seemed like the big four. Yeah. What other things would you expect people to, or recommend for them to do? 
Um, yeah, those are the ones that we like to see people do, but obviously there's more things that can improve yourself. Number one is prepay a vacation. Most people don't save up for a vacation. They just go and do it, right? Yeah. They'll put it on a credit card and worry about it later. But if I get a significant refund, maybe I can go ahead and pay for those plane tickets, pay for that hotel, do something like that. That way, six months from now, you don't have to worry about that. Do you think what you're saying to people, though, is they're listening and they're thinking, okay, that's a, am I going on a vacation? Do they not have to sit down and think about what they're going to be doing in the future? Sure. Isn't that the hard part? They got a tax refund. It's it's three thousand dollars on average, and then all of a sudden they've got to say, okay, I've got to think about what I'm going to do at Christmas. I got to think about what I'm going to do in August. A lot of people struggle with that. Right? How do you encourage people to think through the next twelve months? Really, it's going over everything that they've been doing from keeping their budget, you know, the way they like it, to long term goals, whether it's. 12 months, 5 years, 10 years down the line. So when I talk about 12 months, usually most people will tell you what they're going to be doing within a year. Whether it is, hey, we're going to go on a vacation or we're going to do some home improvements on the house. Most people in their mind have that those type of goals already set. So it's easier to talk about that within a 12-month time frame than saying, like, hey, Jim, what are you going to be doing in 30 years? Yeah, that's true. Or what are you going to be spending in 30 years? I have no clue. That's a good point. So – that's the type of conversation I have with them. What's about another that. idea? I mean, you see a lot of people. So what is another idea that you know people use their tax refunds for? Give it to somebody else. What's well, biggie? Charity or a family member, someone who needs it. I mean, most of the time, if you do get a refund or if some clients get refunds, they may not need it right there. Or they've been doing very well with their retirement savings, college savings, but they haven't tithed as much as they thought they have. Mm-hmm. And that's an easy way to put money into a charity fund or give it to your church or give it to a nonprofit. And you could even put it on your taxes for the next year if you itemize deductions. All right. So we've talked about basically, you know, doing tax preparation and that type, whether it's professional, do it yourself or TurboTax. Then you kind of said, okay, here's a couple of ideas. And you, I mean, the big four that everybody uses is pay down debt, rebuild your emergency fund. Boost your retirement account, which is it's kind of important for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And then, of course, savings for the college fund. Now you're talking about paying for a vacation and giving it to others. Before we take a break, give me a couple of more that, that you see that are dominantly things that people use their refunds for. To improve their home. That's home a, improvement. That's a big one because okay. you think of all the different house projects you could do in your house, and those cost a significant amount of money, probably two or three grand. Or whatever that amount is, at least you have a good start towards it, whether it's putting backsplash in your kitchen to building a new fence in the backyard, even putting in new carpet. Cabinets, carpet. Yeah, anything you you can think of. patio, whatever it is. You get that check and you're like, hey, that... That paint doesn't look good on that wall anymore. <laughs> I think we should get it started. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, last one before we take a break. What would be the last thing that you see people are doing with their money? Improving themselves. Ah, Whether good. it's physically, mentally, spiritually, it doesn't matter, but maybe it pays for a year of gym membership. You know, I've been slacking the gym. Maybe if I get six or seven hundred dollars, I'll go ahead and pay a year's pay a membership year to uh, that way. You're committed. One of those twenty-four hour fitness places, or CrossFit, or yoga class, or any type of thing that you feel like you could better yourself at, whether you're good good at it or not. 
Well, you've been listening to Michael Powell. We're talking about what do you do with that tax refund? At this particular time of the year, people are receiving that. He's gone through six, seven, eight, nine, almost ten items that we've said. Here's some things we've found that people are using that extra, well, on average, $3,000. I mean, $250 a month that's coming out that you're putting aside. Well, what are you doing with it? Well, when we come back, what are things that you can do to, to adjust your taxes so that you're not giving the money to the IRS for a year. You're keeping it. It's part of your cash flow. We're going to find out how to do that when we come back. You're listening to Talk Money. FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice. Talk radio for the Mid-South. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037 so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, all right. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Well, I finally did it. My student loan is totally paid off. What? What about our plan to win the lottery and start living? You know, travel the world on matching yachts, wear enough jewelry to require a bodyguard, vacation on the French Riviera, and then buy it. You know we're never going to win the lottery, right? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. And now, back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm talking with Michael Powell. We're talking about what do you do with your tax refund at this time of the year? I mean, whether it's you waited, you haven't done it yet, or you've already gotten it back. Well, he's gone through some ideas for us. And I mean, everything from paying for retirement to looking at the ideas behind a college fund and maybe increasing your emergency and paying down debt. Those are the big four. But he's added a couple of those that I think are extremely good for us to use when you're looking at that refund, payment, a prepayment for a vacation, giving it to other people, being philanthropic with your blessing that you've received, turning around and said, hey, this is my blessing. Let me give it back to a family member or a contribution to a charity somewhere that you just know this will make a difference in this person's life. Improve yourself. I think that is huge. Whether it's yoga, whether it's the class at the at the gym that you wanted to enroll in, using that for that, that's tremendous. And, of course, the old proverbial home improvement. That's the thing that you put off and put off and put off. This is a good thing. And that's what Michael has found that a lot of people use their tax refunds uh, what they're using them for. So, now, Michael, let me ask you this, because so many people, I would recommend, I think, and I'm going to listen to you, 
that if you can work out your tax refund that you're not getting it at the end of the year, like this one time a year, but you're getting any money that you're not, you don't have to pay, you're actually to lower that tax so that you actually get a higher part of your revenue. Your cash flow is higher. Right. It, you know, I look at that as being a better use of the money. Now, I happen to not want to have a forced savings, but for some people it is important. But let's suppose they want to increase their 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 cash flow, what would you tell them to do? First off, talk with your tax advisor or whoever that is, your CPA, your even the HR could be very helpful for this, is when you go into a job and you sign up for everything and you start you know, getting through payroll and all that, there's a W-4 that you fill out. And there's different allowances and exemptions that you need to make sure that you check off you know, based on your situation. And a lot of the times that people, when they do it once, they never change it again even if big life changes happen. Like I had a client, a uh, couple come in one time and I looked at their pay stubs and they had like a giant refund one year. And I'm like, what's the deal with this? I look at their paycheck stubs and they're claiming one as each other. So they have, they're still single yeah. on these exemptions. I'm like, have you all not gone back to change this? Or like, oh, we didn't know we needed to do that. So that's the type of conversations I have is making sure that they go back to their employer, HR, and making sure that their W-4 is properly Handled. Handled. Put it that way. Now, let me ask you this. So they go back to HR. They they work through that W-4. They make sure that they're getting what they're entitled to. I've actually seen people come in and say, okay, they got a wife, two kids, and so the chain claims three exemptions. But he's still getting back $3,000 or $4,000, or I've seen sometimes much larger than that. Can they not go ahead and put – I mean – I, I know that if they say, "Well, I've only got four exemptions," you can actually have more than that. You can you can put four, five, six exemptions if you need to. Just work with HR. Am I right? Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter what is true to you. Whether it is I have three kids or six or whatever, I'm still putting whatever makes sense for me on how much taxes I'm getting withheld. And so the withholding is based on what you feel is the proper amount. Now, if you make a mistake, your great great advice earlier is make sure you talk to HR or your tax professional. Or both. Or both, yes. And because you don't want to do this incorrectly, but you don't need to let the IRS have five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 annually, and that be, you know, again, you're saying a tax free loan. Right. So you increase your cash flow. It makes it even important now with the new tax changes. Exactly. Great point. You know that that's going to be a difference this year. So make sure that we're doing that. So now if if you're working with your your HR, you're, you're getting additional withholdings. How do you know that you're getting the amount that's correct? I mean, how do you make sure that you're going through that? Is there a way to say, I've done this, I've worked through this, and this solves the problem? Get a fresh W-4. Okay. Go to your employer and say, hey, I need a fresh one. I want to start from scratch. I want to make sure I got it done. So you accurately complete the, all the W-4 worksheets that apply to you and also make sure that you give the employer the new one when changes occur, meaning that I put it in one day, two years later something changes. I got to remember that I got to go back to my W-4 and change that again. All right, you talked about changes. Now, you just named one couple was coming in. They had not changed. They were single. Right. They were married. They hadn't changed that. Give me some additional things that might be changes that you want to go review your W-4. Having a child. That's a good one. Or multiple children. Multiple children, right. So also you're talking about a different, maybe you've changed jobs 
or you've got a different job, in other words, an additional job, you need to be right. free. One's withholding, one's not withholding. That's very true. I have that situation come across a lot where someone draws a salary at one place and they may do their own side business on the other, and they're not obviously they're not withholding their own taxes or anything like that. So that's very important for them to make sure that they're calculating at least a good a good estimate or paying quarterly payments. Uh, throughout the year that way they're not overwhelmed with a huge tax bill i know you've mentioned this before and i'll just go ahead and mention it there is a publication it's called the 919 publication how do i adjust my tax withholdings and that's one that i would recommend anybody they can go online and get that to to any tax preparer ask them for it it's uh it's easy to figure out what how much the amount to be withheld is a publication 919 it gives you a comparison of the total tax it helps you work through what you're looking at as far as your returns and things like that. I mean, self-employment, uh, that's a big deal. You've got to know what your self-employment tax is. So I'm going to say this. I, I put it to you like thought about this. I mean, reality is some people can use the whole idea about the tax preparer. I mean, you know, you can kind of put that together, and, and that's a mindset. You know, go out and get the professional. Some people like to just do it with TurboTax or do it themselves. We're kind of saying best way to do it is with the – Tax professional? I would say so. Just because better safe than sorry. Better safe. Than I don't know. Sorry. How, I don't know how to work on my car, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not going to do it myself. I'm going to hire a professional. You're going to hire somebody every day. Do it every day to make sure I'm not messing anything up, and I think that's important from a tax side too. Well, we've tried to give you a lot of information. Tax turbo tax or do it yourself. You know, we're not trying to say one thing is better than the other, but we are recommending to you. That a, get a tax professional. Make sure that you're uh, spending the energy. It doesn't hurt you to spend a little money to get somebody to look at it for you. That's important. Always know that that's important. And then we talk about, you know, do you really want to have the money held by the IRS? I think your thoughts, Michael, about going to Walmart, giving them $250 and tell them you'll come back in a year and get it, that's a perfect example of somebody letting a tax refund. No interest. You have allowed them to have the money, and you're just getting it back. And that's a good savings plan. If that's all the way you can save money. Right. Yeah, that's that's a big thing is if you can't save throughout the year and if you do increase your budget and you're too afraid that you're going to spend it anyway, that it may be good just to keep it as is, honestly. Well, I think it's uh, been good. You've really, really revisited some of the ideas behind the tax refund. So, Michael Powell, thank you. If you'd like to talk to Michael, 757-5757, give him a call. When we come back. We're going to be talking with Drew Johnson. And the whole reality is I talked about what's going on in the market. And all of us know that the market's got some ups and downs and been doing that for a while, and it's going to continue. In fact, I actually said to you earlier, double-digit market corrections are a normal part of a bull market. Well, that makes us kind of wonder, does that mean it's going to continue to go up and down? Well, probably so. That's the normal part of a bull market. Drew's going to help us understand, are bonds safe? That's a question we get a lot. When we come back, Drew Johnson, this is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. When Dr. Lemuel Diggs began his medical career at UT Memphis, the city had the highest maternal death rate in the country. When Dr. Diggs investigated the matter, he discovered that in most cases, the patients had bled to death. To stop this tragedy from continuing, he proposed the creation of a blood bank. He believed having refrigerated blood in maternity hospitals would save the lives of countless mothers, and he was right. 
Despite the clear need for such a project, the university did not have the funding for it. When Diggs appealed to the city, responsibility for the project was referred back to the university. The local community rallied around Diggs and provided him the equipment to open a blood bank in 1938. It was the first in Memphis and the South, and the fourth in the country. This blood bank rapidly became a leader in the processing of plasma, and techniques perfected there dramatically improved the efficiency of hospital procedures, saving countless lives. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. It's tax season, so what better way to spend your refund than to improve your sleep with a new mattress or new furniture for your home? And no one does that better than Sleepy Z's by Michael Zellner, where you always save 50 to 80% off mattresses and furniture every day of the week. You don't have to wait for a sale. And if you mention that you heard this on the Mary Beth Conley Show, you'll get an additional 15% off of everything in the store, including mattresses, furniture, even their fill station pillow kiosk. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the show, and it's fabulous. That's right. You'll get an extra 15% off their already deeply discounted prices on anything in the store. This goes for the whole month of February. It includes name brands such as Serta, Simmons Beautyrest, Signature Designed by Ashley Furniture, even Benchcraft. Now, they have won the Commercial Appeals Memphis Most Best Mattress Store three years in a row, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. So, reward yourself this tax season with a new mattress and furniture from Sleepy Z's. They're located at 2790 Kirby Witten Road in Bartlett at the corner of Summer Avenue right next door to Hollywood Feed. If you have any questions, just call Michael directly, 901-692-6200, or visit SleepyZs.com. Sleepy Z's by Michael Zellner, where you never wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Tell them NBC sent you. Shoemaker Financial and Securian Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should always consult their own tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Drew Johnson here from the office. We're talking about the misconceptions about bond investing. Are bonds safe? Now, you know, we get questions like this all the time. People talk about their stock investments. We talk about the debt side, which is the bond side. And reality is we always tell everybody you want to have some stocks, some bonds, and some cash. It's the proper amount of allocation. Then do you diversify whether you're buying short-term, you know, short-term bonds or long-term bonds, or you're buying value stocks or growth stocks or international stuff. All that's diversification. And then we tell you the third thing of any good portfolio management is the fact that you rebalance. But the question that a lot of people ask, are bonds safe? Now, I'm going to just lay it out to you. It's a misconception, and we got somebody here in the office. I mean, in the office, here we got somebody here in the studio that literally can walk you through. And welcome to the program, Drew. I thank you for being with us. But I want you to make sure that everybody understands we're going to give them some very straight up facts about the question, the misconception about our bond safe. Drew, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim, for having me on. Let's and- let's answer the question: Are bonds safe? Well, it, that is an important question. It's also a little bit of a misleading question. It's seemingly simple. And as we're hearing uh, items in the news about inflation and about interest rates and about volatility in the stock market, bonds are going to get drawn into a discussion about any one of those things. And so it's important for investors to understand what bonds are and what they aren't. 
And so when we're talking about bonds being potentially safe or we make the statement bonds are safe, what does that mean? Uh, I think your average investor probably has some idea of what a bond is, but let me give the official definition from FINRA, Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. A bond is a loan that an investor makes to a corporation, a government, a federal agency, or any other organization in exchange for interest payments over a specified term, plus repayment of principal, what they originally loaned, at that bond's maturity date. That's what a bond is. It's a loan that involves ordinary interest payments, regular interest payments, plus repayment at the end. Now, what do we mean when we say safe, the second part of that statement? We'll just go with the dictionary, the Merriam-Webster. They define safe as free from harm or risk or secure from threat of danger, harm, or loss. So let's go through and kind of break that statement down a bit. Since bonds are composed of interest payments and the final principal payment, are interest payments safe in the sense that they're free from risk? Well, any organization, a government agency or a corporation, any organization that's, gonna, that's making interest payments from a bond can sustainably do so only if they're continuing to receive revenue to make those payments. All right, let me ask you this question. When you say they're receiving revenue, so is that a corporation making money? It is. So when we get when we get to go through each quarter and they're giving their reports and they're reporting their their earnings, you know, we go we listen to that. Is this what they're talking about? Because that's on the media a lot. I want the listeners to understand, is this what they're talking about when they're saying their earnings? Is if, if, if I projected the earnings to be X and we hit it at Y and it's better, that's a good sign? If it's lower, that's a bad sign. That's absolutely right. Uh, the bondholders are, are going to receive pref- some preferential treatment in how those earnings are, are used. Uh, so if you have a company that has a lot of debt outstanding, but their sales are falling, their business isn't going as well, that's not good. Okay. That's what I want to make sure we understand, that that, that bonds generally, and you've done a great job of defining generally, you're saying one thing, but then you need to look deeper in, and you're saying really that's the organization that's backing the bond. Exactly. The bond, it's a contract, but it's not a contract that is self-supporting or that's just kind of off by itself. There's an actual entity that has to be doing some form of business in order to make good on uh, the terms of that contract, making sure those payments happen. Okay, let me go go through those with me. I know, I think you would probably say governments, let's start with governments. Right, and we start with government. Government has a bit of advantage over private companies because governments can do some, do one thing that they can't. Governments can tax you in order to make sure that they can make those interest payments. So they have taxing power. Uh, not all bonds are, are covered with taxing power, but a lot of them are. Uh, then you go, you start with corporations. Well, a corporation is going to have to be competing with other companies in order to sell their products and make their make their sales, meet their revenue targets, pay their employees and so forth, pay their bondholders. So they're competing. They can't a, corp- a corporation can't make you buy what they're selling. So they're competing across the board. Where our governments also competing? I mean, you talk about a government. You 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 you, you didn't mention municipalities, but that's that's we, we talk about like Memphis right. or Germantown or West Memphis or Little Rock or Nashville. They're issuing bonds and they're competing with right. each other. Exactly. I mean, they might want to be. They might want to build a, a, a 
a park or a recreational facility, and they may issue bonds in order to help pay for that. Uh, but those bonds are going to be paid if, if people actually go to those places and make use of those facilities. But that's on the good faith of that municipality that they're going to make their debt payment. You really, exactly. that's a good point because bonds are debt. So I, I can't buy stock in a municipality, but I can buy the debt that the municipality is issuing, whether it's for a school or a park or recreational area or a sewage system or, or a, you know, a, a water system or something. I mean, the bottom line is, you're looking for what they're investing in. They have a tendency to spend more for a sewage system and make that payment than they had a park. They might stop on the park if they can't make that payment. Right. I mean, you can't own the government, but you can enter into an arrangement where they would owe you money from a particular project. That's a great that point. That's a great point. Okay. Go ahead. Now, you've covered there's government bonds, and we talked about whether it's general government, the federal government, or state government. There's right. municipalities. Right. And that would be a city or, you know, things like that. Then you're talking about corporations that, right. that – uh, they're competing with each other. So that's what you're looking for from that standpoint with that type of bond. Excellent. Okay. What about interest payments? Well, companies have to be profitable in order to continue to make them. So if we're talking about uh, corporate bonds, if you have a company that goes through a long period of unprofitability where they're not improving their, their sales or where they're inefficient in their operations uh, and so forth, Eventually, if a, if a company is not making money, it's going to go bankrupt, uh, or it's going to be acquired by another more profitable company. Uh, either one of those scenarios uh, could entail a loss of interest or a loss of principal to a bondholder, uh, or both. And uh, a good example of this that a lot of us will remember back during uh, the Great Recession, uh, 2007 2009 was uh, the, the, auto, the auto bankruptcies that happened during that time. Uh, back in June 2009, uh, when uh, GM filed for Chapter 11, uh, they subsequently auctioned the assets. That's part of the bankruptcy filing. The bondholders received a 10% stake in the reorganized company. So it's like if I, if I give you $10, I make an investment for $10, my return was $1. I got $1 back for the $10 I gave you, in essence. That's what happened to the bondholders in that, in that situation. Uh, so, and so even large established companies can certainly go through periods where they become unprofitable and have to be restructured or go bankrupt. But so here's forth. the question that a lot of listeners are asking. In, in that scenario, which is a great example, I think, Drew, that you've asked, would, would the bond interest still be paid or did that just fall away? Did they, they still get paid their bond interest or would they? Is it required to make the bond interest? When it went through bankruptcy, all that went away. Their, their bond holdings were exchanged for stocks in, a, in, in an entirely new uh, company once it went through that reorganization. So their, that interest was lost and their principal payment was lost as well in, in, that, in that scenario. So according to our scenario that you've just given us, we would have to say, and I think I'm, I'm going I'm to pull Michael in now. Michael, if we're talking to a client, and based on what Drew shared with us, would we, could we say to them, hey, guys, I just want to let you know that bonds are not safe. Is that what we say? Typically, we say it's safer, safer than, than stock. stocks. Yes, not, I'd rather be the one in Drew's scenario with GM filing bankruptcy, if I own a stock in GM, 
I am a little bit more riskier because whenever you go through any type of bankruptcy or the company shuts down, that company is obligated to pay that bondholder before they pay the shareholder. So in any essence, it is safer than a stock, but no, I don't don't tend to say that bonds are safe. I like to say that they are safer if I'm comparing the two and they're a little bit, you know. I think that's a great point. When I come back, Drew, I want you to kind of give us the scenario on that, too. So we're going to take a break here. But uh, I I know you're thinking bonds are neither free from risk, and I I know what you're saying there. So I want to dive into that with you. You're listening to Talk Money. And, of course, I am uh, Jim Shoemaker. This is FM 107.9 and AM 990, The Voice Talk Radio. For the Mid-South, Drew Johnson, Michael Powell, my guest. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes Store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. As Internet technology advances, so does the threat of cybercrime. In times like these, we must protect ourselves from cybercrime. Antivirus software, firewalls, and security patches are just the beginning. Never open suspicious emails and only navigate to trusted sites. Protect your child by installing parental control software and monitoring their computer use. To learn more about cybercrime, visit ncpc.org or contact your local law enforcement agency. A message from the U.S. Department of Justice, National Crime Prevention Council, and the Ad Council. Well, I finally did it. My student loan is totally paid off. What? What about our plan to win the lottery and start living? You know, travel the world on matching yachts, wear enough jewelry to require a bodyguard, vacation on the French Riviera, and then buy it. You know we're never going to win the lottery, right? When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Dave, what are you doing? Just sending a gift to Dave2037. Who? Me in the future. I save a little money from every paycheck as a gift to Dave2037, so he can spend it on things like anti-gravity boots or a hologram Doberman. Something cool like that. I think Dave2037 deserves it. He worked hard. What are you getting Steve2037? I guess I was thinking Steve2037 would just fend for himself. Well, alright. But don't expect to be borrowing my anti-gravity boots. You want to have money in your future? You got to start saving now. Putting some money from every paycheck into a savings account or contributing to your 401k can make a big difference later. Put away a few bucks, feel like a million bucks. For free ideas and easy ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. Hey, let's just hope Steve2037 doesn't get his hands on a cold time machine because he is going to come back here and knock some sense into you. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Drew Johnson and Michael Powell. Drew has been walking us through this whole misconception that I know a lot of people here. I mean, I've heard people say, oh, I'm in bonds and it's safer. I've got 70% of my portfolio is in bonds. And so therefore I am safe. And we're describing that somewhat as a misconception about bond investing. And Drew is our investment specialist at Shoemaker Financial and walking us through some of those things. So Bob, you've really described that very well, Drew. I mean, you went through a lot of scenarios. You talked about the GM bankruptcy of 2009. You helped us understand that you can lose interest payments. And in that scenario, every bondholder GM ended up getting stock. Exactly. Their bond went away. So summarize that for us. Now, you're saying 
They're not free from risk. They're not uh, for several reasons. Uh, just to sum up, uh, there's an inherent uncertainty in planning uh, for, on future revenue, uh, whether you're talking about corporations or you're talking about a city or, or a county that's, that issues revenue bonds. Uh, organizations can become unprofitable, in some cases chronically so. Uh, to the point that, like GM, they have to require uh, they have to have bankruptcy protection or reorganization. But unless people say, "Well, but that's an extreme example," uh, well, here's the thing: even in the very best of circumstances, the most favorable circumstances you can imagine, the company's profitable; they're making money; they're doing great. Bonds, bond contracts are for limited terms, whether it's five years, ten years, fifteen years. That income stream is going to go away when that bond matures, no matter how profitable that company is. And, you know, a lot of people really struggle with that. They bought a bond 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and it was paying a higher interest rate. Now that bond is matured. Exactly. And now they've got to reinvest it, and they find the best they can do is 2%, 3%, something like that. Right. That's a tough scenario for a lot of people to deal with. Let me ask you this, because I think question is, Another misconception so many people talk about is bond prices go up when the yield on the bond goes up. That's a misconception. Help me with that, Drew. Right. I mean, I think part of that is just it's a visual. It started. It starts as a visual misperception because you it, you you tend to think when you're looking at stocks, when you're looking at everything else, up is good, down is bad. So then, if you're looking at bonds, you're seeing you think, oh, yields up is good, down is bad. Uh, bonds, it's more like a seesaw. Uh, you, on one end of the seesaw, you've got the yield. On the other end of the seesaw, you've got the price of the bond. When the yield goes up, the price goes down. When the price goes down, the yield goes up, and vice versa. So bond, with bonds, it's opposites. Does that mean that a person needs to be careful buying yield? Or what? how does a person go through that scenario? Get me with that, that mindset. Do they buy off of the yield, or do they buy off of just... I want to buy this particular bond, the, the 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 Federal Express bond. I'm not saying that we should buy a Federal Express. That's not what I'm saying. Just a bond, a company bond. What are they making a decision off of? Well, if you're if you're looking at the broad interest rate climate, if you're buying a bond that pays a, a low yield relative to what you think the market will bear in the future, then the likelihood is that the price of that bond is going to go down. Now, the, the coupon payments from the bond, the regular interest payments are going to be the same in, in terms of their dollar amount. Their percentage will go up as that bond's price declines. Uh, but if let's say if you needed to sell that bond for whatever reason to create some liquidity, uh, then you would, be in, you would be likely selling it for less than what you bought it for. And that's the concern that a lot of people need to make sense and be sensitive about. They could end up having to get rid of something that they've got more money tied up into it than they had thought they, than they couldn't get it all back if they had to sell early. So when they're making that type of an investment, they need to think about that from that standpoint. Exactly. Well, I think you've done a great job. Now, I want to make sure everybody, I, I, ter- I said Federal Express, I am not at all, we're not recommending any bond or any stock or anything like that. That's not the point. I just use that as an example because obviously here in Memphis and the Mid-South, that's a big company. But the reality is bonds are part of everybody's investment portfolio. It should be. Now, it needs to be looked at as a, a particular item that is not perfectly safe. I think, Drew, you've done a good job of that. Michael, have you got anything that you would say to a client real quick about what this would be in putting a portfolio together, using Drew to do that? 
Just make sure that you listen and pay attention to the environment around you, making sure that you're making the best decisions and diversify. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Whether you do have a little bit of bonds or a lot of bonds, make sure that you're aware of how those go. Telling everybody one of three things. Number one, you want to make sure that you've put a portfolio together that's not only diversified, as you said, Michael, but they've allocated it between stocks, bonds, and cash based on their risk tolerance. Mm -hmm. Understanding that the double-digit market corrections are normal. It's a normal part of a bull market. The the S&P has been more than quadrupled since 2009. During that same time, we've had five different double-digit corrections. It's part of the market. It's the way it works. Bonds, are they safe? Well, we've decided probably not. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and Drew Johnson are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money.